Greetings from Nairobi, Kenya. My name is Ken Bugwa, and it is my privilege to bring to you this seminar titled Protecting the True Gospel Through the Songs of the Church um, to um, um, guide us in thinking through how to do that. I want us to focus on Colossians and chapter 3, verse 16. So if you have your Bibles, which you should, because you're in the comfort of your homes or your church, let me give you some time to turn to Colossians and chapter 3 and verse 16. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is the word of the Lord. What Paul has been doing up until this point is doing the very thing that our, our seminar is all about, protecting the true gospel. Because even though he preached the true gospel in Ephesus, and as he proclaimed the true gospel in Ephesus, people hearing it moved on to Colossae, proclaimed the true gospel there. And that gospel brought forth fruit, which is the church in Colossae. A time has come when that church that was founded on that true gospel, as proclaimed by Paul, is now being attacked by a false gospel, hence the letter. That's what instigates the writing of this letter. There are people preaching another gospel, and Paul will have none of it. So he writes to protect the true gospel. Well, it's of interest to us that in a book which he has written to protect the truth concerning who Jesus is, and what he has accomplished, that one of the things that shows up at a pivotal point in the book, just before he transitions to some heavy application, how those truths that he has articulated apply to family, apply to, to, to the workplace, apply to missions. Just before he does that, he tells them this, sing, sing. But you'll notice he doesn't just merely say sing. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The first point I really want to make is that songs are not about songs. They're not an end in themselves. Songs are all about the scriptures. If you're taking notes, put that as your first S. The second one will be about songs themselves, and then the last one will be about the saints. Songs are not about songs. They are about the scriptures, and the scriptures are all about Christ. Isn't it of interest to us that he says, verse 16 again, let the word of Christ dwell in them richly, and then what he asks them to sing is all manner of songs, including the Psalms, so that as the saints sing the Psalms, they're singing about Christ. As the saints sing the Psalms, the word about Christ will dwell in them richly. Songs are a means to an end, and this is the end that Paul wants for them. For this truth about Christ to dwell in them. You'll notice that from the beginning um, of this book, he has said certain things about Christ. And that's what he has his eye on as he's telling them to sing. 
He has said in chapter 1, verse 15, that Christ is preeminent over all creation. He is not created. Nothing created was created apart from him. Not only is, there, is he the one who was central in, in creation, but he's the one who holds all things together. That's who he is. When you're singing, you're singing about cosmic realities, about the one who is greater than the grandest of all created things. That's the content of your singing. Your singing is accomplishing that end, allowing the church to have its mind set upon those grand, glorious truths concerning Christ. What Paul has articulated in his letter thus far is that this Christ is the center of his ministry. He takes this seriously. Look at chapter 1 and verse 26 and, and see how he phrases it. He's speaking about the saints at the end of verse 26 and he says, To them, the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is him, Christ, that we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Singing a no small deal is no small, is no small deal. Songs are important. Why are songs important? Not because, oh, me, I like singing more than preaching. Singing is important because it is about Christ. It's about the scriptures. And, 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 and articulating to people, helping the Gentiles understand the glory of this mystery, that our hope is found in union with Christ. That we who had but small faint hopes of perhaps being forgiven are astounded, are overwhelmed with the majesty of the grace of God towards us, which is what? He has made us one with Christ, everything we've ever needed, far more than just forgiveness. We have reconciliation, adoption, the hope of glory itself because we have been made one with Christ. This is what Paul is laboring to do. This is the focus of his ministry. This is why he gets beaten and battered in different cities to help people understand this glorious truth. And you hear this? That's what singing is about. Don't take singing and making it, make it about just kind of tickling your affections or your emotions or, or giving you some kind of high or making you cry. Singing is meant to help us explore, grasp the beauty about this truth concerning Christ. That's the truth that Paul is speaking about. That truth that he was guarding, this is who Jesus is. He is all you need. You are complete in him. He wants them to sing about it in church. Paul has argued up until this point in chapter 2 verse 26 or rather 2.16, telling them, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or in regard of festival or a new moon or Sabbath. These things are the shadows of things to come, but the substance, 
belongs to Christ. Christ is preeminent over man-made religion. There's no type of religiosity, hyper-spirituality that is greater than Christ. He is preeminent over all of it. It's not about our worship culture or the new latest songs or the old archaic songs. It's not about songs. It's about Christ. And if we are going to grasp the role that songs are, all, are meant to play in church, we have to understand that when the scriptures speak about singing, they have the scriptures in mind. They have the scriptures in mind. They have the truth concerning Christ in mind. And music in church ought to take its rightful place. It's not about you, song, notes, musical arrangement. It's about Christ. You serve Christ. You're subservient to this. You're a means to an end to allow these truths to dwell richly in the church. That's why music is important then. So when we talk about music in church, we're speaking about nothing short of the preeminence of Christ in church. The priority of proclaiming the preeminence of Jesus Christ in that church. That's what we are talking about when we talk about music. It's meant to accomplish that end. So it would be super weird for us then to be all about preaching but not about singing because it's not really about preaching nor is it about singing. It's about Christ. So pastor, if you are all about preparing your sermon during the week, would I exhort you to also be diligent in preparing the songs that your people are going to sing. If, if it is the elders who are in charge of teaching, right, the biblical qualifications apt to teach, the gifts given to the church, right, for what purposes, so that the saints might be equipped as the word of God is taught, well, let us understand and grasp this. One of the basic ways in which that is actually taking place is through the music that is being sung. And if you, oh pastor, want this truth, you have labored hard to mine out of God's word, to articulate who Jesus is in your preaching, work as hard to identify the songs, the right songs that will help your people dwell upon those same truths. It's quite interesting when you talk about singing, right, to notice that when Paul is speaking about the gospel, these words about Christ, this word concerning Christ. He wants it to be guarded in a certain place. It's not just merely in the books that have been written where arguments have been made that are accurate. He wants the truths about Christ to be guarded in the life of the saints. He wants those truths to dwell in them richly. That's where he wants those truths safeguarded. Articles are awesome. I read them. Books are awesome. I am trying to read them. Seminaries are amazing. I hope one day I make it through some MA program, maybe a 10-year um, target here. But you notice this, God wants those truths concerning who Jesus is, not in books, in libraries. He wants them in the life of the church. He wants those truths to dwell inside the saints. 
That's where he wants them to be locked up and kept safe. So that whereas we could be able to argue and articulate that God is good, God is sovereign, he wants those truths in the lives of the saints being articulated in songs where we are singing about a good and gracious king. You argue with that with dozens of voices, not merely articulating it and arguing it out, but worshipping it, glorying in it, reveling in it. He is good. That's how he wants those truths guarded. It's not about the tune, you see. It's about the realities of who this God is. God is sovereign. Yes, that is true. He wants the saints singing that. Whatever my God ordains is right. That's where we want to guard the truth about the sovereignty of God. As the saints are gathered and singing it loud. Notice here as well, not only are songs about the scriptures, it is quite important for us to realize that songs are ordained by God. They are, are, are one of the ways that God has dictated for us as his people, New Testament saints, to draw nigh to him. We draw nigh to God on his own terms. And how does he want us to come to him? Not only through the preaching of God's word, not only through prayer, not only through communion and baptism, not only through the reading of scripture, but also by singing the scripture. So we are working here when we talk about singing with a gift that has come from God, a particular mode and method that has come from God. And you will notice that of all the different tools that he has given to us, they're all beautiful and unique. And so is music and so are songs. Look at the words again here in chapter 3 verse 16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So we are arguing here that the way in which the, the first phrase is accomplished, the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. How do we accomplish that? It's through the things that follow. Through the teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What does Paul want? Those truths? To dwell. He doesn't want a pit stop on the truth. Just you kind of grazed through like a tweet that you read and it was good, it was helpful, it was true. He wants those truths to abide in the church. He, he wants a sense of permanence, a meditation upon them. He wants those truths to marinate in the church. That's what he wants to happen in those truths. And you know what is a very good tool when, when we want to do more than just a touch and go type of um, um, experience with God's word, it's music. Um, I think it's Bob Coughlin who, who called it take home theology. That theology about who Jesus is will dwell amongst the saints, in the saints when they sing it. Notice that he doesn't just want it to dwell in them. He wants it to dwell in them richly, richly. He wants that truth in abundance, uh, as far as quantity goes, but also in quality. 
all these different truths about who Jesus is and what he has done, preeminent over creation, head of the church, the one through whom we receive forgiveness, the one who is the center of ministry and the end that we are aiming for, to present people in Christ on that last day, holy, blameless, and above reproach, right? The one that we're supposed to hold fast to because as we hold fast to Christ, we grow with a growth that is from God, the one who is preeminent over man-made religion, over Sabbaths and feasts and everything, all of these truths, quantity and quality, will dwell in us as we sing. So music, quite importantly here, is a tool. You remember again, it's not an end in itself. It's not its own God. It's a means to an end. It's about who God is. It's supposed to be serving truth, not the other way around. It's supposed to be serving truth. But notice this, it is uniquely equipped, shaped to accomplish that end of allowing that truth to dwell amongst the saints as they are humming it all week long. What are they supposed to be humming? Truth in quantity. All of these different truths packed into tunes melodies, harmonies that allow God's people to sit on it, marinate on it. But all of the richness of those truths as well. As we, as we process the fact that if we have Christ, heaven has nothing more to give. I, I still remember um, a couple that got married last year um, during COVID and because there were some of the um, early couples, COVID had just kind of begun, lockdown was on. And because they chose to continue and get married with um, a very small crowd, the news, um, the media call, um, got wind of it and interviewed them. And I was so proud um, of, of, of those two members of the church as, as they found different ways of weaving in the gospel into that interview to make sure as much of it goes forth as possible. And as we were being asked, like, why did they cancel their wedding? Why didn't they push it? This is such a sad, gloomy event because they did have to actually get married then. They couldn't, they couldn't move it. Um, they, they quoted um, in, in speech the words of a song, and they said, we, we believe that whatever God ordains is right, and we know that he never will deceive us, right? Um, and they go on and on, and I'm just like, look, they are articulating rich truths about who God is right, on media, national media. How is it that they manage to, to grasp such rich truths and articulate them so well? Through good songs. Through good songs. That's a song that has served its purpose. What's its purpose? To allow the truths about Christ to dwell in those two richly. That's the end. That's the aim. Notice lastly here then, right? If, if we understand that songs are to serve the scriptures, for it is about the word of Christ, it is not about songs. If we understand that songs are a unique gift given to us to allow us to guard that truth. We then as a church ought to respond in certain ways. We ought to understand first and foremost that singing is discipling. Singing is discipling. When we talk about guarding that truth, we have said we want it guarded in the hearts of the saints as they sing it out. You'll also understand that we want that truth guarded in the church in the way the saints are actually living out their lives. Because Colossians doesn't end with chapter 3 verse 17, does it? It continues on. It continues on. It continues on to speak to husbands, continues on to speak to wives, and then children. And then those who are in authority as far as the workplace goes and those who are under authority, 
And then to speak about the church in regards to missions, right? Pray, pray for us that doors might be open. And then speak to, about, to the church about how to, uh, to maximize the opportunities, to allow every word that is in their mouths, right, to be seasoned with grace. As they're going out, to be filled with grace and seasoned with salt as they're going out amongst the world, articulating these truths. The truth about Jesus, Paul wants it manifested in their lives. He wants the saints discipled. That is how the church becomes the pillar and buttress of truth, not by having many good books, but by living out the truth. And do you know what is an ally towards that end? Songs are an ally. That's why he wants those truths about Christ to be sung by the saints, that he wants to live out those truths in their marriages, in their families, in their workplace, and in the mission field. So are you trying to disciple your people? Are you trying to help them look more like Christ? What songs do they sing? What songs do they sing? Are we singing about the Trinity, right? Are we singing songs not only about celebration and joy and adoration, but also songs of lamentation, teaching our people a theology for suffering. I find it very interesting that in the night, what is given in the Psalms is a song, a song in the night. So that you know what when suffering comes and when, when the cloud right, um, um, surrounds the church, they're singing still. Because they've been well discipled. We still know God is good. Even though we're experiencing a bitter providence now, how will they learn such important truths for such critical times? Through the songs that they sing. We are discipling them through that. I remember our last year, our last year here at Emmanuel Baptist Church was easily the hardest year we've ever had. And what, what we marvel at even now is that when, when, when last year, when we were at the bottom of the valley, there's still many different ways in which we're suffering now. But when we were in the bottom of the valley, when we were, when we were covered with that thick, cloud of death because we lost precious loved ones before COVID even hit. You, you might not see us just because of how dark that cloud that was hanging over the churches, but you know what? You could hear us. You could hear us even if you couldn't see us. And you could hear us because of the songs that God gave us. So that that song whatever the Lord ordains is right became an anthem. Became an anthem. We were not worried about over singing it. It was the song that God gave to us. The ancient of days, <laughs> right? Why do the nations rage? This reality that the ancient of days is still with us, is still holding on to us, became an anthem for this church. Music disciples us about how to go through all manner of times. Teaches about sanctification, about suffering, about the privilege that we have of, of being forgiven. Music is doing that. And it can do the opposite as well, right? It, 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 can, it, it, it can communicate the wrong um, things about the Christian life or about who God is. When you think about the work of missions itself, how are we going to not only proclaim the truth, but long after we have left the mission field, allow those people to continue to abide in the truth. Allow that truth to be guarded in amongst those saints. The music. The preachings that you preached were all important. The men that you raised are all important. But listen, 
the music that you left that church with is meant to communicate those truths long after you have left. That was certainly the case with my grandmother. Right? She, was, she belongs to the Presbyterian, she, she passed away, she's with the Lord now, uh, the Presbyterian um, um, Church of East Africa, PCEA. And the missionaries who planted those churches back in the day were from Scotland. They brought over rich, rich doctrine, right? The word of Christ, richly. That's what they brought over, right? Um, and long after they had left, because I've never met any of them, right? They left decades ago. My, my grandma would still be singing songs that are powerful, that are just filled with scripture. I remember quite specifically um, how she would sing uh, the song, and I just went back to see exactly what that song was. It's actually the words of Psalm 23. Psalm 23. And she would sing it in the house. Her, her son, my dad, would sing it as well. And, and it was a song that would be sung to the tune of Danny Boy, an Irish tune. So the Scots and the Irish here must have agreed um, or made peace. So there was a truce of sorts back in the day because the Scottish Presbyterians were clearly using an Irish tune um, to catechize and disciple the saints. And, and she would sing. Beautiful tune used to, to serve many different truths. But way back when, God's word being put to tune, long after the missionaries have left, abiding in, in, in my grandmother's heart. And she continues to sing it. And, and that whole generation, we, we call them shoshos, our, our grandmothers, I've said this many, many times. If you listen to them speak, the hope that they have about the eternity, the confidence that they have in what Christ has done for them. The theology of suffering that they possess is far superior to anything we're experiencing today. Anything we're experiencing today. How was that the case? It wasn't just merely about what was preached. It was also about the songs that they sang. So we then as churches, if we desire to see God's truth guarded, we must be aware. We must be aware of the privilege that we have to be able to sing of the unique tool that songs are. But first and foremost, we must, we, must, we must begin by making songs a servant to truth. They're not above truth, they're servants of truth. If we use songs to merely move the affections of people by disregarding truth or by making themselves equal with truth, we are teaching our people the wrong thing. We want to take songs and elevate truth, let them serve truth. We have to take songs and make sure that they are rich in truth. That's the first thing that we have to do. But then we as congregations as well need to realize that it is far more than just about singing those truths, but that rather when we are singing those truths, we're allowing those truths to be a part of who we are, to be at the very center of church life, that we desire to see those truths long after people have left, not merely to have enjoyed a tune, but to allow those truths to affect how they live how they husband, how they wife, how they parent, how they boss, how they serve at their workplace, how they pray for missions, how they participate in missions itself. That's the purpose of good music. I pray that as we meditate upon these truths, that the Lord will allow us to sing better for the sake of the truth. Amen.